it's like the same thing if you were driving a rental car versus owning your own car. I mean, you're going to care more for that car that you own versus the rental car. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's a good analogy. When you turn the rental car in, you're going to maybe leave a little bit of garbage in there or leave it be a little bit dirty. Yeah, who cares? Who cares if the front door I'm turning it back in. I could trade it in for another rental. But, you know, in this case, you're like, this is my car. The change oil light is on. Yeah, Yeah, so what? Yeah, they'll take take care of the change oil light. Did I just redline that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. My name is Jim Carr, and I am here with my always thinking co-host, Mr. Jason, Jay-Z Zanger. How you doing, man? Yeah, good. It's, it's hard to turn this thing off. I got to tell you. Eight yeah. years. I know. I know. It's always... I get it, you now, you know, man. The neurons are always firing and... That's you know, okay. It's, I love you just the same. Thank you. Even yeah. at nighttime. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> but you don't get up in the middle of the night and no, look at and, your phone, and, do and you? you know what? I've actually been deliberately trying to calm my brain before I go to bed so that I could sleep better You know at what you should use is like Headspace or Calm. It's an app for your phone. Yeah. I really, really, I've heard really... i Yeah. The other night I couldn't sleep and I downloaded yeah. Calm. And I, I got the seven day trial, and then I'm like seventy bucks for a year. I can go on Spotify and get yeah, the same exactly. music. You know what? I actually I have this slated as maybe a future episode because I think this is important for manufacturing leaders. But What's like, that? just really no, just like um, how to like really prepare your body to be a better leader. Uh, and a couple of things that I do as far as don't sleep drink goes, a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, that that doesn't help. No. Eating right before you go to bed. Personally, I stretch. And I use prayer and reading before I go to bed in order to give myself more calm. But you want to talk about that in another episode in the future? We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You're we'll laughing. What do you mean we'll see? What, I don't know. I, if I tell we you gotta, we want to talk about it, we're going to talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so Nick's You're not, not the with, boss of me, Jim. <laughs> I, I am. <laughs> I am older, remember? <laughs> That's true. All right. Respect your elders. Got yes. All right, exactly. All right. I do. I'm very good about that. I know you are. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Nick's not with us today. He's in West Tech. Hey, Nick. Have a, I hope you're having a great time. Who? And Nick, Nick, oh. Nick Golner. You know oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in West Tech, so he's not going to be with us today. So, but what we are bringing you today, and what I believe, what Jason believes, is really an impactful and thought-provoking episode from a local business here. Yeah, I thought right? this was Nick's replacement. I thought no, 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 no not yet, not, not yet. <laughs> but we do. We, maybe someday. We who knows? No, I'm no Nick. We're just kidding. Nick. Yeah, a local Elk Grove Village business and a new friend of mine. I told when I met this gentleman for the first time about two weeks ago. I said I love what you're doing and I want to be your friend. So you were talking about replacing him as your new best friend, and yes. I almost cried when you With told you. me that. Yes. I know. I know. Uh, he's going to share his experience in implementing what ESOP. ESOP. It's a four-letter acronym, and Employee I stock honestly, ownership program. I have the true definition that I'm going to read in about okay. ten seconds. But what I got, and this gentleman will guide us through the process, but it's something that not everybody should get involved in. It's unique. It's yeah. a daunting process. There's costs involved. There's people involved. There's money involved. It gets yucky when people are involved. It does get yucky and, when and people you know, are Jim, involved. When you told me about this, I got to be honest, I got really excited because I've actually been thinking about and mm-hmm. doing research on ESOPs for like 10 years. Yeah. So, and we'll, we'll I, I think, I'm not surprised. I think that, that we'll get into that a little bit. Switch yet? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it's okay. So, anyway, what what the heck is an ESOP? So, I just Google searched it today, and it's an employee stock ownership plan. Oh, plan. I had program. Plan. Okay. Yep. It's a an employee benefit plan that gives workers ownership interest in that company. This interest takes the form of shares of stock. Simple enough so far, right? ESOPs give the sponsoring company, the selling shareholder, and participants various tax benefits, making them qualified plans. Employers often use ESOPs as a corporate finance strategy to align the interests of their employees with those of their shareholders. So the one thing, and we'll get our guest feedback on oh, this, yeah. but oh, for sure. you know, the one thing that I think is left out of that definition, at least to my understanding, I'm not an ESOP expert or anything like that, but one of my understandings is that it's also a retirement play for your team. I'd like to talk to our guest about that too. Yeah. But before we introduce him, as we normally do, what's happening in your world 
I have some very exciting news. Go ahead. You and I might be neighbors in the future. Yes, that's I what know. I heard. Wouldn't that yeah. be fun? I mean, so we're a couple things. We're really busting out of the seams in our building, A. And then B, when Zenger's was started, you know, in 1951, we started out as like a hardware store, general store for industry in like that Franklin Park neighborhood. And as we've grown, my dad used to tell me these stories like machinists and shop owners coming up to the counter, buying a Kennedy toolbox and just filling it up with micrometers and calipers and tools and everything like that to bring back to their shops. Well, I know that's how it used to be, man. That's how it used to be. That's how it used to be. You know, but those days have changed. And now our business is integration, vending, contracts with our clients. And so that even though that retail side is still there, it's like as we've grown, it's lessened and it's like less than 5% of our business. So we're moving away from the kind of like the retail storefront that we have. And we're at the very tail end of negotiating on a new building. So I'm really excited about that. That's great. Yeah. I'm happy for you. It's time. It's not going to be dripping like your building is, Jim, but it's going to be nice. It's a different business model, right? Like you said, you don't have people Yeah, nobody says, we we talked about this. I mean, like you can have, you know, say like a Boeing that wants to come out and see your shop and look at your machines. Nobody's like, hey, I want to go visit my tooling distributor. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not a thing. So we're going to make it really nice and we're going to make it really nice for our team and we're going to make it really efficient for the distribution of, you know, tools and supplies. Yeah, totally get it. Totally understand. It's and I wish you well. And I'm sure it'll be fine. And yes, we're going to be neighbors. Oh, the other thing that my team requests is that we have a boring bar. Oh, cool. At, that at would be cool. Place. Yeah. yeah. So, you got you to gotta yeah. do that. Got to gotta have a little bit of fun, right? Yeah, you have the boring lounge. We're going to have yeah, a boring it's a, bar. Definitely yeah. a cocktail lounge. Yeah. It's sophisticated and classy, yeah. just like me. Yeah. But anyway, as long as we're feeding ourselves. <laughs> yeah, mine's going to be a little bit of different I'll tell style. you what's going on at Carr is... I didn't ask you. Well, I'm Maybe I'll ask you the you next episode. You don't have to ask me. I'm going to tell Can you. Can I just ask I'm, you the next episode? No, no. Because I don't think they want to hear that much about you. Well, they do, because that's why they listen to Making Chips. So anyway, I'll just keep it real simple. I can't get automation in the shop fast enough. It's all about everyone screaming for automation. I believe in it. I think it's the future. Yeah, we need to talk about that for sure. Oh, there's yeah. no question at all. Yeah. We've I have it in the back of my head, but yes, we can't get it in the shop. And there's a lot enough. of options out there now. There's tons, yeah. and it's quite frankly, it's, it's a little daunting. I don't know if it's really seamless yet either. Oh, it's not. I just read an it's article not. about it today. I think people like our friend Craig Zobaris, you know, I mean, they they position it, and and a lot of people like Craig are better at it than others on making it turnkey. But I know other manufacturing leaders that have implemented automation and sometimes it doesn't go like they want it to. And so the one thing I like, you know, if we're going to talk about Craig, we probably have him back on a show, but he's very niched in what he's looking for as far as automation goes. And so I think, you know, he does a better job than most, but it's a daunting thing to look at. We definitely have to have an episode about it for sure. We need to have multiple episodes about it. Yep. You know, because it is part of our future, this future shift in our industry. I'm even looking at, you know, automation for our new facility for distribution. Yep. You know, we need to be able to automate and really use robotics in order to, you know, just fulfill our clients. Yep. So Amazon's doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to do it too. Good. Awesome. So before we begin and we introduce our guest, I do want a disclaimer here because, you know, we are just Jim and Jason and Nick running this episode. So, you know, Nick's not here. I Jim. know, but We're just he's, Jim par- Jason. he's part of this entity, right? So I just want to go on record as saying, you know, implementing an ESOP can be a daunting task financially, emotionally. It's only for unique circumstances, which we're going to get into. And making chips isn't endorsing an ESOP for your company. We're just here to share what our guest's experience was with it because there have been some ESOPs that have failed horribly, right? Oh, yeah. I I know somebody um, that I just met with yesterday who told me he just got done unwinding his company out of an ESOP. Yeah. And, you know, and it just goes back to, you know, it's not for everybody. It's just like, you know, there's a lot of companies that went public and then they go back and they wind themselves back to become a private company. I mean, those things happen. And I think it's more like how carefully you implement these things and how well thought out they are from the beginning Sure, in order to do them correctly. Sure. So just some key takeaways before we begin. An employee stock ownership plan gives workers ownership interest in the company. An ESOP is usually formed to allow employees the opportunity to buy stock 
in a closely held company to facilitate succession planning. And that's important. You, it has yep. to be bought. It's not given right. you know, in most cases. That I would, answers I one know. of my questions yep. I had written down. ESOPs encourage employees to do what's best for shareholders since the employees themselves own stock. Yeah, so there's an alignment of right. you know ownership and you know what you're doing on the shop floor or in the business. Yes, ESOPs provide companies with tax benefits. I'd like to know about more about that. Well, my understanding of that, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into you know, it. We'll get into it is that when you sell to an ESOP, you get a lot of favorable tax positions for mm-hmm. that. And then companies typically tie distributions from the plan to vesting. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, so kind of like a um, like a 401k or other traditional pensions. Right. And I think that what we want to do is, you know, since we've defined terms on an ESOP, you know, we want to hear a story. Right. You know what I mean? Because that's what Making Chips is about. We equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So we can equip you with information, but if you don't hear an inspiring story from another manufacturing leader, you're like, okay, how is this relevant to me? Right. And it may be more relevant in and ways that you And that's been our mission since day one. Exactly. So our guest today is Jeff Taylor. He's the president and CEO of Crafts technology in Elk Grove Village. He's about a mile away from where we are right now. And Jeff has an ESOP story to tell for us. And we are glad to have you here. Welcome, Jeff. Well, thanks for having me, guys. The first two things I got to say. Yeah, correct us, Jeff. First, oh, oh, I'm no. going I'm I'm to write them down. Right, too. So correct so us. For, and, then, and then we want you to tell your story. But the first thing I have to say is I think I'm only here because Jim thought it would be funny to hear a Bostonian say, <laughs> yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, yeah. It is yeah. a little funny. That's the only yeah. reason I'm here, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. 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 machine. Partially. I do. I do. But it is, it's a pleasure. I got a story. We'll talk over wine <laughs> some night about my Boston experience once. And Jeff, I do have a good one, which might make you like me a little bit better. Is that my he son? He not like you any my, my oldest son's name is Brady. After, you know, I don't know if you love Give him or hate him right now. Come yeah. in, oh, It's getting so, thick. Let's go to Florida together. There you go. <laughs> Second thing I have to say yes. is your clinical description of an ESOP was, I felt like I was in a doctor's office. Okay. It's I'm going to re-describe. Jim's ESOP. a little sterile. Let's start there. <laughs> well, Jeff, all I, I, had, he's all not, I was doing was doing a Google search. I'm not going to lie. And it sounded. Okay, good. Let's go. So let's back out of this and rewind it. Give us the top bullet points of what it really is, at least to you. And ESOP is only one thing. It's a way for the bank to lend money to employees to buy a company. That's the end of it. That's okay. a great. And it's a very lawyerly term and program, but it, you know, Correct. the ends to which it meets are for your team. Yeah, the lawyerly those descriptions come from, you know, this was kind of a uh, codified in law as an ESOP. It's covered under ERISA, right? So it's so it has tax exemption status as a business. Ongoing business as an ESOP pays no federal state taxes for the most part. So that's ESOP why pays no federal or state taxes? No federal state taxes. That's pretty amazing. Yep. That's pretty amazing. Wow. Okay. I want to pay no federal state taxes. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, I I'll visit you. An, visit. I'll, I'll become an ESOP. Is that like right? the, biggest, the biggest thing? That's how... I mean, that's pretty huge, Jim. Yeah. So an ESOP, getting right into it, is you basically, if you're a bunch of employees okay, go ahead. and you don't want to put up any money, no capital in, you have to do a fully leveraged buyout. The only way, say this business here, say car machine is going to be sold for $10 million. All employees get together, they borrow $10 million. Yeah. I mean, because the, the thing is, you pay off that loan based on cash flow. And if half your cash flow is being paid out to the government, right, you're in a very precarious situation. If you're in a profitable company. Well, yeah, but you're not going to pay it off if you're not in a profitable company. So, right. like, you know, so I can see why those things come into play. So, let's just kind of like take a step back for a minute, Jeff, and tell us your story, how you got into manufacturing, yep. what took Lots you to craft here. technology, and then let's get into like the ESOP story. But let's kind of take a step back for a minute. All right. This is the two minute view. <laughs> Because uh, I could <laughs> yeah, spend hours on this. Well, give but, us the five or 10 minute view. Okay, five or 10 minute view. So out of high school, I'm kind of the quintessential of what am I going to do? I don't really want to go to college, but maybe I'll go to college. Went to college at night, got a toolmaker apprenticeship position, did that for 10 years, became the manufacturer manager in a tool shop, similar to crafts or car machines, something like that. And uh, again, finished school at night. Fast forward 20 years later, the principal that I worked for then owned a piece of crafts technology. These guys were all in their 70s and 80s. They didn't have family that was going to take over. So they said, we have to sell the business. Problem with the business is you try and sell a business that's, you know, four, five, six million dollars in size. 
basically everybody that shows up at your door wants to pay you four times earnings. That's what, three times do an asset purchase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get a very, a fairly low multiple or, or valuation on your company. So, so you get the low multiple and you're paying taxes on it. On and you're paying taxes, yeah. yeah. So therein lies, that's the genesis of an ESOP. So it sounds benevolent to sell to your employees. There's some measure of benevolence there. I'm not going to say that. But basically the owner says, well, I could sell to the employees, get a tax benefit. That's great. That's a win-win. So that's the genesis of it. And then, so the employees... You form the ESOP. They borrow all the money and they buy the company. It's not more complicated than that. So, um, as well, far that's, as the, that's in the simplest of terms. You have to get all those employees to agree upon it, right? No. Oh, you don't? Zero. Oh, okay. See? That, okay, so tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean zero? Because that's one of my questions is, let's paint this picture. So, at when you came into Crafts Technology, it was, a, let's just say, a $5 million a year company with X amount of employees. Let's say 10. Right. Let's say 10. And you pitched this idea to the staff and two people said, eh, I don't need to take on any more debt. I don't like the idea. The owners, they don't know anything about it. It's too complicated for me. It's just a way to get them rich. I'm out. There's no pitch. Okay. There's no pitch. Okay. No, if you're being holistic, right? Right. Of course you want to inform people of what's going on. But it's not a pitch like you think. You're not getting buy-in or approval from anybody. If you wanted to turn your company in it, into an ESOP, you exclusively could go do it, and it's done. Okay. That's the end of it. No With pitch to nobody. Nobody has to care. Nope. Okay. That's the end of it. That is ESOP through and through. But because they have that, to sign off on the loan. And that's because there's... No, they don't. That's oh, because don't? there's some kind of like fiduciary who is looking over the interests of the employees right. external from themselves. Okay. Do you know... Are you familiar with like a fiduciary, Jim? Yes, I okay. am. Okay. I wasn't sure. Because I'm, I'm gets, the fiduciary to the Jim, profit sharing Jim gets plan. gets tangled up in big words. So, no, I'm you know. the fiduciary to our profit sharing plan, right? That's why I have to have a bond on it, right? Yes. So it's probably very similar from a legal perspective. You form a company, that. put it in a trust. Yeah, it's like four hundred one k. It's ERISA. It's four hundred one k IRA ESOP. All fundamentally, and, and, and this same. is why, like, essentially, in a lot of ways, it becomes like just another type of pension program for the team. Yes, so in a way, but, yes. it, but it's more of an aligned pension program, and it makes them more vested in the interest. So I feel like we're still, you know, getting back into the technical side of things. So Jeff, again, tell us your story going into manufacturing. Okay. Are well, you he's a, shop, a manufacturing? Are you a guy? shop floor guy? Are yes. you like, where, how did you get into manufacturing? Like, because the metalworking nation, they will kind of, from a certain degree, they want to know, you know, what's the credibility of this guy? Sure. I don't know who he is. Is he a lawyer? Is he an accountant? You know what I mean? Right. Like, that's who really important. Jason's yeah. right. That's really important. It is very important, and I'm proud of my story. So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> So I started on the shop. We just floor. know you have a Boston accent. You I know do. What I mean? We don't know whether you know how to I, run a machine. He's or waiting not. for me to say yeah. car machine yeah. again a few more times. So uh, again, and I then start- you mix that up with a sh- being in Chicago and your accent gets really. It's like my, <laughs> oh, it's messed up. My my, my mother in law is from Thailand, and then she grew up in in Dallas, and oh so my like God. You know, her accent, you know, you and her could probably have a conversation that none of us understand. Okay, so I was born in Santa Barbara, grew up <laughs> oh, mostly You're in Salem, Massachusetts, <laughs> lived in two years in New York. And then uh, 12 years in Pennsylvania, in Amish country, and eight years in Illinois. Yeah, so yeah, I wow. am definitely that is diversity at the, at the best. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. and my yes. mother-in-law should, should truly have a conversation. West right. Coast, anyway, East Coast, Midwest. I am conflicted, let's you just are. say. Yes. I'm a registered independent because I'm scared. <laughs> so here it is. So I am that quintessential right from the shop floor. Yep. Trained as a toolmaker, went to school, finished my associate's degree, left the company after 10 years, went into a sales career for in sales and sales management career for 19 years after that. Uh, selling what? Industrial fluid handling, uh, okay. divide, uh, pumps, seals, like for gaskets. Like that or? Any fluid movement. Okay. Pumps, seals, gaskets, you know, anything that involved fluid handling. So I went from there and then as I was 19 years into that career, Crafts approached me. Because remember, one of the principals that was invested in Crafts, he was the one that employed me for 10 years before I left. Got uh, it. Okay, and when went you on were to my 19, yeah. Got it. So also I should add just in that journey, I did not finish my bachelor's degree until I was 50 years old. Oh, wow. nice. Well, good for you for finishing. So I did an associate's degree at a community college, did a bachelor's degree at 50. And if you think of the whole journey, I mean, I am the quintessential job on the shop floor, working my way up to CEO. As a matter of fact, when I came into crafts and they recruited me, you might say, I had never run a company. Good luck putting me in the driver's seat. Yeah, they were really <laughs> taking mean, a risk. Huh? Like, that's a way yeah. to ruin an ESOP. Yeah. 
But I was fortunate because the CEO that was the sitting CEO was doing it for 40 years. He mentored me for two to three years coming into the CEO role. How old was he at the time? He was in his 70s. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, that's up there. Yeah, it is. That's up yeah. there. That's a nice position to be in where you have two to three years of this person with the wisdom basically handing off the tasks to you and you get to learn through that process. Definitely. I feel very fortunate, but that is the kind of uh, soup to nuts journey okay. as to how I got to where I am. Okay. So you came into crafts in what year, Jeff? Okay. That was January 1st of 2014. Okay. And what is Crafts Technology? What's the product that you Good manufacture? Question. So they're a 130-year-old company. As far as I can tell from research, uh, the country, maybe the world's oldest continuously operated company of its kind, again, certainly in the United States, but uh, working with hard materials, diamond, and then in the 40s and 50s, tungsten carbide and advanced ceramics. But basically, they were setting what we would call ugly diamonds with inclusions. You would take those worthless diamonds and you would set them into cutting tools. Mm -hmm. okay. So if you wanted to turn glass spectacles yeah. or yep. whatever you wanted to do. Yep. So and you the company did at one time, you said. They did, yeah. yeah. So that's funny. I had a, just had an interesting conversation with my son the other day at dinner because he, I don't know if you ever heard of Minecraft. I know what it okay, is. So like there's this yeah video game called Minecraft and, and, and Minecraft really gets into like different materials. And, and he was like, well, diamonds, is there a more precious materials or a harder material? than that? So I was explaining to him about like, you know, tungsten carbide and stuff like that, which, you know, most parents would have no idea what that is. So it's interesting that that's the type of materials that you guys get involved in. So, yeah. And then, and then he had these other materials, which I don't even remember what they were. They were like Minecraft made up, you know, materials. It could have been, you know? who he was knows? like, but this is harder than a diamond. I'm like, well, probably not. It's probably not real. Yeah, really. <laughs> we have a trademark called Craftaloy. They probably have Minecraft. There you go. <laughs> you start that. <laughs> you, start, you could have a should... Minecraft branded material <laughs> sponsored so by Minecraft. Say, You'd probably, it'd probably increase super your sales. Hot, yeah. as we would say in Boston. <laughs> you hot. You, super hot. You would get the new generation that really would take notice of crafts. I believe it. Okay, so, so it's January 2014, you're in this new role, and you're looking around, and you're like, oh man, what am I going to do with this company? This is key. I could just, I, I could just see you it's, going through that exercise. It's rich, like what yeah. you're thinking. You talk about all the failed ESOPs, talk about all the failed public companies, talk about all the failed private companies. ESOP aside, it means nothing. It's how you run a business. That's what's going to make it successful. But you didn't take this job coming into it and say immediately on January 1st, 2014, I'm going to flip this company into an ESOP, did you? Before I came to the company, at first they were shopping it around and they asked me first, do you want to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know if I have quite enough capital. Yeah. Maybe I should have gotten partners, but we also hatched. Somebody had uh, told them about ESOP. So they asked me, what do you think about an ESOP? What if we did this? So okay, it kind okay. of the genesis was conversational. And okay. then it was like, yeah, why don't we do this? And I was like, yeah, that's a good vehicle for me. Yeah, we, so it was, there was a symbiosis of sorts of discussion. Okay. And that, that's how it was. Born. And, and how many people worked for the company at that time when you bought it? 34, oh, wow. okay. maybe. 34. So you're looking at if you were to, and I don't know if this is the way an ESOP works, but if you were to, you know, kind of roll, divide those people up into the company, you've got everybody owning 3% of the company. Is not that how exactly. An ESOP? So, not at all. And this is where I don't know. I'm not educated in ESOP. So yeah. tell me exactly how that would work from like an ownership standpoint, because that's what I would assume. The first thing I should correct, I think in your description, Jim, you you said they buy stock. Right. Nobody in an ESOP ever buys stock. Okay. There's no It's capital. always given to you? Always given. Or oh, as okay. we would say, okay. earned. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. So it's no, uh, there's no capital in by anybody that's okay. in an ESOP. Okay. So basically... You can imagine, so I, let's say, let's go with your $5 million. So mm -hmm. I borrow $5 million. I take that $5 million. I amortize that over 25 years, right? So I just average it, just like your mortgage. Yes. It's amortized over 30 years. You amortize that. So you distribute that percentage value each year for each of the next 25 years. And then the old owners get a check for $5 million. Sort of. It's sort a little of. more, without getting deep in the weeds, they will hold the note sometimes. Kind of, yeah. So the owner is part of the finance mechanism sure. as well. Oh, but, that but, makes yeah. sense. but in essence, they have yeah. rights to the $5 million. Right? Okay. Well, that's their company, right? Well, it's a note. Okay. They become subordinate to the bank. They eventually get the $5 million. They eventually get yes. the Yeah, because ultimately it's a buyout, right? The, ultimately it is, right? Okay. They have a stake. You know, if they're, they're in essence, in some ways, financing ESOP 
buyout. The owner. Yeah. They, right. they take but the, the bank has got to be in there somewhere, right? The bank uh, lends what you might say is the down payment. So let's say $5 million. Let's use your example, $5 million. The bank says, well, I'm not going to do a fully leveraged buyout. There's too much risk there. Right. So the bank says, well, I'll lend you $1 million. You as the business owner is okay. selling it. You might hold $4 million. I'm, this is a fake example. Yeah, right. right. So you hold $4 million in notes. Maybe you'll get 5 6 7 8% interest. So it's, it's, a, it's attractive to the sellers too. This is not bad, but the note holder, the principal selling the business, is subordinate to the bank's note. So the bank always gets them. That's how they mitigate their risk. The bank always gets their money first. They get their money always, first. So if the course, business goes always. belly up, all they yeah. got if they lent you yeah. $1 million, they're going to get their million dollars. Yeah. I don't care if it's an yeah. asset sale. Yeah. So the banks, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, like in terms of risk for a bank, it's not that bad. And again, that's a fully leveraged buyout. When a bank does fully leverage, is it truly have to be 100% leveraged or is there like 80% is fully leveraged? You can do any percentage. No, but I mean, like what's considered fully leveraged in that kind of a situation? 100%. Is it always 100% of? In an ESOP, you first thing you do is you choose what percentage of the business you want to sell to the employees Yeah, so that's first. another thing. So if you're the owner of the company, you can say, I'm going to sell. It has to be over 50%, though, right? I don't know I where the I minimal threshold. That that, so I'm not sure that that's true. I'll okay. Well, let's just say, you know, I want to sell 80% yeah. of the company to the ESOP. You can retain an, 20%. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. And that 80% is fully leveraged. Okay. So Got you it. see what I mean? It's fully yeah. leveraged yeah, to whatever course. percentage. Because yeah. the owner's retaining the 20%. He's giving away 80%. Correct. And okay. somebody has to finance the employee's buying sure. of that 80%. Okay. All right. So you came into the company and you were knowing that you were going to establish this. Yeah, well, you were being hired to run the company and to be mentored by the new CEO. And, and that whole notion of an ESOP was already being discussed before you went into the company. Correct. Okay, so then, yes. then you got, before you got actually hired and you, and you started, had it been decided that you're, they were going to sell to an ESOP? Yes. Yes. It, yeah, by okay. design. Okay. Correct. By design. Yes. Yeah. I'm taking the CEO role and we're selling to an ESOP. And how did the, I never use the word employees, but, how did the team take to this new change? And how did you educate them on what you were doing? It's a great question because I was a little curt when I said there's no pitch. Yeah. What I really mean is there's no requirement for a pitch. That's right. not, but you know, if you're taking well, the over, best leaders communicate. Right. I mean, know? come on. If yeah. I'm coming in as the CEO and I'm going to pontificate on the virtues of employee ownership, right. I think I should involve the yes. people that are yes. buying right. the company, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, and so that pitch was kind of, it was a soft boil. It was kind of rolled out as this is what we're doing. This is going to be good for the employees. They don't vote, yeah, but they're aware. Yeah, and they can decide whether they want to stay or whether Correct. they want to leave. And that's, it's by their proxy of yeah. their position. They're saying, right. do they I want to stay or go? Right. And they often are like, huh, hmm. this sounds very interesting. I can, you're telling me I can earn a piece of this with no invested capital? That's a pure play of earning something that you no capital in your investment growth is astronomical because you have no capital so immediately did the team say we love this thank you we're so glad you're here and that you're going to be doing this for us i think my answer of yes is probably more typical of an esop it is it has a benevolent because everybody wants to be an owner especially when they can reduce the risk amongst the rest of their team exactly they're probably all for it well the accountability point is i totally see that you're making everybody accountable for what they do, right? That's ultimately the beauty of it, right? Everyone's an owner. Everyone's accountable for the growth of the company, right? Jim That's- and Jason are responsible for making chips. Yeah, right. I, you hold each other accountable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We did. Yeah. We did. That's an ESA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all it is. It's nothing else. Yeah, I totally get it. Yep. To an extent, my team, because we have a good culture, they hold each other responsible. But I could see that is accelerated even more when they're like, you know what? I'm not just doing this for Jason. I'm actually doing this for myself. And when they see so-and-so not contributing to the point that they, I mean, they're going to really hold that person accountable. They are. I can also see there's also, it probably helps with hiring. You know what I mean? Because you could probably, and in this day and age, that's a big factor and you can really attract someone that's like, yeah, I want a piece of this. We can talk philosophically all day long. You can run any company, private, public or whatever. But at the end of the day, in an ESOP, it is the leadership that defines how that's communicated, right? And so that becomes, if you start an ESOP without the psychology of this is something we all own together, they're all your partners. If you don't do that, I would suspect a lot of of ESOPs, the arc is probably going to go south. 
Well, I remember you and I talking about this a few weeks ago when he met Jeff. I think that Crafts had a unique pitch. I mean, you have a very niche product. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fast forward too much, but the end result was that Crafts has a really unique niche product. You've got, hang on, my old brain isn't working. I'm going to try and continue. I know okay. where you're going. And so you so think- is it, are we going too fast? No, no. Where you're okay. going is, think of that continuum of unique and niche product, right? Yes. Look at United Airlines did a ESOP. I thought it fails. was American, but- It was, it was United. United, yeah. okay. So they did an ESOP. But what happens if you look at that continuum, if you have on one end, highly skilled people, people, their value chain input is- consolidated in fewer people and not to denigrate anybody at United no, at no, all, no, no, but, no, no. but it's more broadly distributed at a, a different business model. That's what I'm saying. You had patents. So you were a niche yeah. company. You had a lucrative product. You had patents in place and you had a great skilled team. So it made you, in my mind, based on just our first interactions together, it really was the perfect storm for Crafts technology, right? And you had great leadership. But I'm going to flip it on its head. Okay, go. Woodman's grocery store, Esau. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. I don't well, think the type of business you're in has anything to do with whether you could... I disagree, Jim. It doesn't okay. have anything to do with whether an ESOP is going to be successful. It has to do with how effectively the leadership yes. leads you into the ESOP yes. and yes. whether the people are aligned yeah. with it and the culture. You could be selling cutting tools and ESOP will work. I mean, Number even in a commoditized thing, you know, business. It's the it really leadership. Yeah, yeah, it's the I leadership. Agree. It's leadership. That's everything. But it's Jim's everything. not all wrong. There's a sweet spot well, in the middle. That makes a business that much more valuable when you have that unique proposition to be able to bring to the marketplace. Going back to the story, you came in, you pitched them on an ESOP. Did anybody leave because of it? And then how did things change? How did the environment change because you started moving into this ESOP? Okay, so if you think of it, eight years, it's been eight years since I've been there. So let's think of it annually, how, what things changed, how things changed. Every year you're issued what is kind of a, um, I don't know what they call it. It's a, paper, a phantom stock of like sorts. A, like a performance. Yeah, what's it's going showing on. you yeah. what your stock, you, you earned, if Jim made $100,000 a year and Jason, you made $50,000 a year and you were the only two people in the ESOP, he would right. get twice as many shares as you. Oh, okay. oh it's definitely graduated oh, okay. by it's your income. It's commensurate with your income. And that's going to be public to everybody in the company. So they're going to see that. And I'm going to look at it. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm twice as valuable as Jim and he's making twice as much as me. Like this doesn't work. Okay. But you know? I do want to temper. I, I have to be careful. I'm talking my experience. <laughs> yeah. I, he's like, people, you've, <laughs> listeners can't see Jason laughing. <laughs> but he is laughing. He's heckling. So that's my experience, right? Yeah. But you can structure an ESOP also to not be commensurate with income. You, okay. you can give one and one. Okay. Okay. So you is, can do that. Everything is public. If it is commensurate with income, everything is public. You are basically communicating the formulaic yeah. way of how you're just, yeah, I mean, you it, are, you have to do that. By its nature, you know, an ESOP is going to be an open book environment. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I'm learning. Wow. So year to year. So what changes? So every what time you get that sheet, this is it. It's kind of an annual event of sorts. And that's where things crescendo in your understanding. So if you earned 10 shares last year and when the company was first purchased, each one of those shares were worth $100. Mm-hmm. So you had 10 shares, you had $1,000. You right. go, wow, I'm worth $1,000. But Yay. you're like, ah, it's paper, it's $1,000, whatever. Right. right. Next year, now you have 200 shares and each share is worth $2,000. Right. You see what I mean? So then you go, oh, wait a minute. This Maybe, is actually something. Can it ever go down? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Just, that's what I thought. You're basically in an ESOP. The best way I can it's say it's a commodity. You're running a public company. Okay. And that's okay. It's, it's a share. <laughs> yeah. It is. You're it, running a public it's company. It's reevaluated. I don't want to paint this as the best thing in the world to do. I want people to know the negatives of it. Oh, too. Are, I don't know that I would use terms like negative or positive. They're just the realities of running There's all considerations to make considerations this. Yeah. because you can make certain aspects of it seem like a negative. I can flip that on its head and I can turn them into positives. Right. It's what the leadership team understanding an ESOP should fully appreciate each aspect of an ESOP. Each aspect, forget an ESOP, just any measure of employee ownership, owner to owner, ESOP employee to ESOP employee, 
you're always collaborating on what value you're putting on the table and what value you're driving that from. We get lost in acronyms like ESOP. Yeah, it's, it's almost a fool's game to get it lost in ESOP. It yeah. really is. It is. That's why I said it sounded clinical when you first said it. It's because it's like we're in a doctor's office. No, you got to get humanistic about it. That's just how the lawyers and the bankers in the government officials, that's just how they characterize okay. everything. I apologize. Maybe I don't get this. Maybe my intellect level isn't as high, but kind of kind of dumb it down yeah. for me a little bit. The audience knows, Jim. It's okay. It is okay. I'm just learning for the first time in my life, right? I, I'm not a college-educated guy. I'm honest about that. But what is the big difference? You know, we have a profit-sharing and pension plan. We get annual statements. You show what it was last year, and then a year from now, appreciated, right? It probably doesn't ever go back unless the people are going into very into stocks or bonds that they shouldn't be in and the market took a dive, right? So for the most part, the profit-sharing and pension plan is appreciating every year. With the ESOP plan, how does that differ? I mean, it's it kind of is the same thing, right? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, I, it is. It's fundamentally okay. the same thing. But you said profit-sharing, if you do that here, uh, profit-sharing is like a bonus. It's once and done. Right. You're not vested. As an employee, you're not vested. You're after the bonus. It's common for a lot of people to leave after they get their bonus. <laughs> they wait till the bonus period. It's big and they go. Right. In an ESOP or anytime you have, like you two guys running the business here, you're really invested. Like you are constantly thinking about next year and the next decade. And it's a very similar thing with employees. That's the arc year to year. You're kind of, it's a slow boil. You're thinking about tomorrow. Not in the same way. They're not thinking about their profit-sharing bonus. They're thinking about next year's stock price. The minute you start doing that, it starts to change. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's like the same thing if you were driving a rental car versus owning your own car. I mean, you're going to care more for that car that you own versus the rental car. I mean, that's just the way it that's is. That's a like, good analogy. I mean, when you I turn agree. the rental car in, you're going to you know, maybe leave a little bit of garbage in there or leave it be a little bit dirty. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Who I'm cares just, I'm, the front door I'm turning it back scratched. in. I could trade it in yeah. for another rental. But you know, in yeah, this case, right. you're like, this is my car. The change yeah. oil light is on. Yeah, yeah so what? Exactly. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> take care of the change oil light. Did I just redline that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so going back to the story, you're there, you explained to everybody what's going on. What changes in the environment? What changes in the culture and in the business? I am going to paint a broad picture, I think, for your listeners. Crafts is 130 years old, right? Well, I went back and looked at all the finances. It's The company has been bought and sold by conglomerates, owned by private enterprise. It's been, I had eight equity turns since the mid 80s. Wow. Carpenter oh, Steel, eight. American Chain and Cable Company. I mean, it's that's eight turns since... The 1980s. That's a lot for a small company. That's a lot. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Equity turns are part of life though, right? Yeah. Yes. But here's what I would say. Forget everything. I looked at the finances. How is it? How is it possible, unless I am just outstandingly awesome, that I come in and we blow away the growth and everything else? How is it? The only tool I really had that's different Maybe, sure. Maybe I come in with the mindset. Maybe I'm dynamic. Maybe you could sit here and say, Jeff, you're awesome. Because that happened to me in an interview once where they said, maybe it was just because of you. We haven't said that yet, Jeff. Just so you know. I'm waiting. You're only telling I'd yourself. I'd sit here quietly till you tell me. <laughs> I would say handsome and charismatic for the yeah. most part. But we'll get on to the other, we'll get on to the other adjectives later. I'm going to leave while you two compliment <laughs> each other. So how in the eight years, how do you have that arc? Yeah, right. How is it? Aesop. I mean, it well, just yes, benchmarking was a component it. of it. But going back, you had a unique product. It was yeah, lucrative. Let them talk. I know, but 122 <laughs> years before me. Yes, they did. Uh, yes. But in eight years of an ESOP, that's a wellspring. That just doesn't do it. You might have great machines. Good luck with that. They ain't going to do anything unless somebody knows how to program. So you're, it's exactly. the same idea. you're attributing this, this growth in large part to the fact that you put ownership in the hands of the people that ran the place. Jim and yourself know that you need people and machines. And same thing in ESOP. You know, you need people in the program. Yeah. ESOP does nothing. Well, I mean, certainly making, by chi itself. making chips has been an arduous battle. And if it wasn't for the fact that we owned, if somebody was just hiring Jim and I as like a hired gun to appear on a radio show, we wouldn't show up, would we? I mean, like, it, it was just, it's because well, we own the place, you know? It's about getting people feeling engaged and invested. Plus, we like it, too. Well, we like it. But I mean, if you and I were just hired to appear on a radio show, I mean, we would consider it, but it wouldn't be 
we probably wouldn't, wouldn't be genuine. We wouldn't be as tenacious as we were yes. with, you know, like how we really put our time and effort into sure. producing this. So people, I'm going to ask a question. Especially since we're not getting paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask a question for you to me. So people will say, oh, come on, you know, what kind of return does an ESOP really get? Think about this. Just what kind of return does an ESOP really get? Why does that sound like a voice in my head? <laughs> so I would say, what if an ESOP, give it its due, it increases your performance, your earnings, your bottom line, your profitability, mm-hmm. just 10%. So let's make believe you made $1 million in profit and you increase it just 10%. You have $1.1 million. Right. But also your growth increases a little bit. So if you were a smaller business, if you were four, five, six, seven million dollars, somebody might come in and try and buy you at four times your earnings. Four times. So just to be clear, first of all, that one hundred thousand dollars is now worth four hundred thousand dollars. Right. But if you also outpace growth in the market just a bit. Yeah, you might get six to eight. That's right. But outpace the growth. So you went from five million to seven or eight. So you got five million to seven or eight million, plus you're growing your multiple, plus you're growing your earnings. You get that's a triple. So you just you just doubled understand you just doubled your your pay. Serious. And that's all an ESOP is really doing. It's it's not magic. If you got the right managers in place, and I say ESOP, it's ownership. Mm -hmm. It's an ownership model. It gets people dialing up the EBITDA, dialing up the revenue dialing up the service. And again, it's not magical. You're not going to go find an ESOP way outperforming. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I've looked into it because I, I I said to myself, and I never looked at 10%, although the math that you're putting out to me is very compelling, even based on 10%. But I thought to myself, you know, if I can increase the value by 50%, if I sold off half the company, I'm ahead of the game. And then I've also done a good thing for the rest of the team. And that's also a big part of it. I mean, you talked about, you use the word benevolence. And I've talked about this on the show before. And there's this word, and it's really going to bother me. And if somebody from the Metalworking Nation can, can write in and tell me what the word is. But there's this word that describes one of the best things that you can do in the world is really just to care for the people in your immediate circle. So like, if I care for my wife, and I care for my children, and then I care for my street, and then I care for my neighborhood, and then I care for my city, those things really start to have compound effects. Do you care for the county? Well, I just didn't think about the county. I never think about the county. But then I also, you know, I put that out to my business. And it's like, if I care for my team, and I care for the other businesses that are in my area, and if those things can really start to compound the good that you do in the world in a way that you probably don't even see, but really happens. And I think I feel like the way an ESOP works is that you're really caring for the team that works for the business. But you have to relinquish your autocratic nature. That's you have you, to relinquish a lot of things me, that are yeah, not for me, cool. And as an entrepreneur or something, it's yeah, not, it doesn't feel no, right. No, it doesn't feel, because that control, that's a big part of it. And, and I would say, from my perspective, I'm a recovering control freak. So I have let go a lot of this. I mean, Talk, I am totally a control yeah, freak. Yeah, you, you absolutely are, Jim, the too. And, and a lot of us entrepreneurs are. I mean, I told, I don't know if you heard the episode or when we talked about it, but I went on a sabbatical for like four weeks. And one part of the reasons that I did that was just so I could put back that control to my team. And they did a fantastic job. Never called me, didn't need me, record sales. I was like, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to do this again next year. But I think that there is something to be said about letting the rest of the team make the decisions for you. I think that they're smart enough to be able to do that collectively. I think the reason that you bring in a leader is because most of the time, that leader is going to make the best decisions as one person. But you need to look at it not as one person, but as a collective and say, okay, the leader can make... If you had to pick a single person, the leader is going to make the best decision. But if you could just put everybody together, those everybody's are going to make a better decision than the leader by himself. And I think that that's probably one of the benefits of the being part of an ESOP. genius. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Collective genius, yeah. I just took a long time to say what you said in two words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say one thing, though. I reserve veto power. <laughs> oh, okay. Because okay, yes. just remember, you're right. Uh, imagine uh, Jack Welch running GE, okay? Right. I mean, Jim Carr running Car Machine. You sell to an ESOP, Jack has a public company. It's the same thing. Right. You don't give up uh, to the shareholders entirely. But if you really mess up, you can have a revolt on your hands so they can compel change. But when you do an ESOP, there are people like, oh, I'm going to lose control. I'm a control. Yeah, you can remain a control freak. But really, for your own good, you really should do what Jason said. Push out autonomy. You're never going to sell a company unless you have depth of management. 
only debt of management team that you're going to have that's ever going to be valuable. When we came to sell in the ESOP, the first thing I promoted was the team, not yeah, me. I'm a vehicle for promoting the depth of team. Well, and so I got to be honest to with you, Jeff, you had an easier time doing this than Jim and I have because I've had 25 years of being controlling. Jim's had how many years of being controlling? 40, 40 years of being controlling. You weren't in this position as owner or CEO before. So for you, you were just entering into a new situation. You weren't necessarily yes, getting a new up dynamic. Yep. And that's different because it's like control is in my blood. Good. I'm glad you pushed back a little bit, but you're right. Yeah, I agree. I would counter that with tomato, tomato. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. you guys, you had the luxury of running a business. I popped in like, hey, I'm here to run an ESOP. Yeah, right. I'm going to borrow millions of dollars. I'm going to run the show. And boy, I can't wait to mess this up. You're right. So listen, you guys have the luxury. Tomato, tomato. You got I different strands, but, yeah. but it's still good to point that out because yeah. you're right. If you've been doing something, the continuity of that feeling, it, I would say for you is harder to shake, mm -hmm. but you had different benefits, strengths and benefits, yep. you know, and we each are going to have our own kind of facets that we've developed before you yep. get into a given role. So cool. So Jeff, I have a really important question that I think is on the minds of everybody in the metalworking nation, because I would say, you know, most of our audience really leans towards really having that freedom, having that control of their own destiny and not wanting to be controlled, say, by the government. And all of this talk feels really uncomfortable in a lot of ways. So are you a communist or a socialist? Is that what this would make you? Neither. Okay. So what so how so, <laughs> for so the how record. Would, so how would you describe yourself? I'm a registered independent <laughs> moderate. Wes, I grew up well that's I know I, I am I, I am truly I, I, I am the quintessential moderate. And, and, and I'm, yes. I'm obviously I, joking with that question, yeah. but the whole concept really feels a little bit like, okay, so we're handing over control to the staff and they're going to control this company as opposed to having a leader own and control. So it's different. No, it is not. I you would agree, beg to disagree. Differ. Okay, that's if fine. Jim oh, this sold, is good. If this Jim is interesting. sold car machine, yes. first of all, he'd be the chairman of the board. Okay. <laughs> Second of all, he he'd, likes titles. he'd hold the notes. Yeah. Second, third of all, he'd be the CEO. But we, couldn't he be fired? He's not handing over. Could uh, yes. he be fired? He, he'd have to rise to the occasion. I mean, yeah. he would. Yeah. I'd I have mean, to like show some bad losses and, and or bad you know decisions. What? If he ran a business that bad, He'd be fired by virtue of going out of business. So, right? Right. so you're, 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 yeah. you're, you're not. So how, do, how does that get taken? I mean, what if the rest of the team they kind of get together collectively and they're like, you know what? I think we can find a better CEO than Jim. I mean, can they do that? Yeah, that's well, a good question. Me as the biggest shareholder, I yeah, would highly encourage yeah, firing you, me if I'm not the right person. Right, because then you're going to make more money. Right. Okay. Understood. So all shares are not equal because it's commensurate to salary, right? The way that they've so set it up. So the person that's making $40,000 a year has a lot less shares than the person making $250,000 a year. Okay, just so I know. And it's that easy. And it doesn't have to be, but most of them are structured that way. 80%? Don't quote me on a number, but I believe it's somewhere like that. It's, okay. It's okay. generally, I think okay. that's the most okay. common way so to do it. So the stakeholders are the ones that own most of the shares, right? So the stakeholders, meaning the people that own the company, right, are yep. the people that are really controlling the company because they own most of the shares, right? They own the majority. They Correct. own the majority. Yeah, just That's by word. virtue of their pay, their bigger percentage of payroll. And it really, right. So Correct. that really incentivizes people to strengthen their skills and really want to have that upward mobility so that they That's can reach right. those leadership levels and get a higher percentage of oh, the shares. Oh, Correct. So yeah. it's dynamic. Now. It is. Okay. It is. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so yeah, if you bring in somebody at, you know, a 22-year-old machinist yep. and he's doing a great job, yep. he's like, you know what? If I can be CEO in five years or 10 years, I'm going to have the Why biggest piece Why don't I just become the supervisor first? Right. <laughs> Increase it twenty percent or some number, and, and keep because that's what they're seeing, yeah. okay. and they see it in the distribution, and they're like, "Oh, this is pretty good." Yeah. yeah. How hard was it for your staff, your team, to grasp all this? Uh, because as a, a good question, as yeah. a upper aged person that's been owning and managing a business, I'm struggling. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, but there's a lot here, man. Yeah. So oh, that's a, that's an awesome question. Okay. And, and honestly, this is probably the hardest part yeah, the, of the, the whole equation. The formulas that Jim knows are one part tequila, half a part triple sec. <laughs> I do know that one well. 
and Cabernet versus Pinot Noir. <laughs> this is the hardest part. Yes. You know what at the end of the day is in an ESOP, in my opinion, and I think it's like a lot of companies, they, people take a leap of faith. Do they trust you? Yeah, that's a big part of it. That yes. is it. They got a piece of paper, yes. but at the end of the day, they go yes. like, "Is this real? Is this? Uh, it's it feels is it very marketing, abstract." Is yeah. It? But at is the end of the day, they're left with one thing: Do they trust you? Do they feel you're earnest? Do they really feel you're honest? Mm -hmm. And that's and these soft, that's huge. You have to be all those earnest, yeah. honest, open book, and they have to trust you because at the end of the day, that piece of paper and that distribution and all those things don't really. They mean a lot when you're calculating things. It's the human-to-human -human interface. Thing. And that is a perfect ending to this episode. Yep, there you go. Oh. Yeah, because I think we want to know, well, okay, so you've got that piece of paper. Does that really turn into something tangible in the future? Yes. And I think that's what and we want to talk, talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. And it does. Okay, <laughs> yes. great. Well, you know, Jeff, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Unfortunately, you do need to leave. We've got another guest coming in, you know, but we want to have you and back I'm, and continue this conversation. I'm squatting. Yeah, <laughs> okay. there you go. I'm a squatter. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's definitely been a pleasure. I've learned a lot. And, you know, so have I. And, and I told you before, I've been researching the whole notion of an ESOP because I really do believe in that benevolence side of things. And, and I've thought to myself, you know, hey, what if I saw this legacy of Zengers continue on for as much as I want, you know, my children and be able to hand over equal shares, 25% to each of them? Well, what if it was bigger than that? And that's one of the things that I want to explore as well. So I'd like to hear when you walk us through the next phase of, of this. I think it's even a bigger episode. Great. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, Jeff, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll get that on uh, Mike. Great, Jason. So what did you think? Did I tell you that this no, guy... No, this is a great story. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's got my wheels turning. Yeah. Your wheels are always turning. Mine right. are... They're turning faster. Mine are spinning. Yeah. For sure. There's yeah. no question about it. Because, you know, I'm at that age where I don't know what the next five to 10 years looks like for me. And I've got a lot of options on the table. So... Is this an option? Yeah, because I mean, you, you want Maybe. the company to keep making I don't know. chips. It still sounds, with all due respect to Jeff, it still sounds daunting to me. And foreign and weird. Yeah, and right. you know, Yeah, no it, doubt. Well, it doesn't sound weird. It sounds really like a cultural thing for me. That's what I'm feeling. That's the emotion I'm getting from it. But I don't understand the money part. Well, I do understand it, but I don't 100% Well, you know what it. part of the money, the money part that I like? What's it? The tax part. Yes. And so, yeah. Well, I was going to go there, I'm but I'm not going to go there. On that, yeah, me too. Because at the end of the day, we can make chips all day long. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.